Okay, Pasa Mufasa. Welcome to the Micopreneur Podcast. My name's Dennis Walker, and today we're going to get right down to business with one of the most prolific and distinguished pioneers of the intersectional mushroom game you already know. We're launching into a heavy discourse today, and we are not pulling any punches. This is a big episode for us. We can't wait for you to hear it. Amigas, Habibis, my fungi friends, please give a warm welcome to Reggie Harris of Oakland Haife. Trust the community, focus on the community, focus on the little people, focus on the people who got it out of the dirt and not the people who got it out of Wall Street or Bay Street or bought their way into it. Focus on the people who got it out the mud and the people who've been doing it historically. Today on the pod, we're going to be dipping into the first ever Oakland Psychedelic Conference that's popping off tomorrow and Sunday, covering some of the speakers and panels relevant to this momentous occasion. We're also diving into the work that Haifei Labs is doing in potency testing and the psilocybin cup. We're talking psilocybin mushrooms and online censorship, which is an evolving dialogue that Reggie and I are committed to addressing on an ongoing basis. We're talking pitfalls and opportunities of micropreneurs engaging with large corporate entities when fat stacks are on the table what Reggie wishes he would have known before entering into a business relationship with multi-million dollar operations. And we're talking mushrooms and music, all that and a whole lot more. We are fucking stoked that you are here. So let's get this show on the road. Que pasa Mufasa, Reggie Harris, the one and only. We've got Oakland Haifei in the building. Can you tell we're excited? How's it going today, Reggie? I'm fantastic. I'm wonderful. My birthday was yesterday. We got the uh, the conference coming up this weekend, and we have the cup coming up right after that. And so it's, I mean, this is just a, a, a Michael month, man. This I'm, I'm stoked, and I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Happy birthday, by the way. So you're a fascinating figure, fascinating figure in the mushroom world for a number of reasons. First and foremost, because you make big fucking things happen, like the Oakland Psychedelic Conference kicking off this Saturday, September 18th, and running through the weekend. And this conference has a lot of buzz around it. I'm sure you're aware of that. It just feels different than many of the other Michael events that are popping up. So I'd love to hear it directly from you. Why is the Oakland Psychedelic Conference different than all the other conferences and events in the Mycoverse? I'm not surprised that there's a lot of buzz, but I feel it. I didn't anticipate that it, it would be this high. I think that the thing that makes Oakland Hyphae attractive is that, like, I'm not a know-it-all. You know, we, I hold these events to connect people and to learn. And I largely put together events that, that I would want to be at. And I think that I meet a very interesting intersection of both intellectual people in terms of the science that I do through Hyphae Labs and the testing, but also like cultivators. Damn near everybody on Hyphae Labs on my team is a cultivator or has cultivated at some point. And so I come out of that lineage. And so I have a lot of credibility there, but also with the business end. You know, I appreciate that end of things too. And so we draw the business end to, you know, our our events. And, and lastly, the activism and the community part. Like, I just think that Oakland Hyphae represents this new refreshing way to look at mycology and, and plant medicine. 
Sure, and there are a ton of heavy hitters on the schedule this weekend, so I'd love to hear just a little bit, just in case anybody's out there within a thousand-mile radius and they're still sleeping on this conference, assuming they can even get in. Who are some of the people presenting? What are some of the panels we can look forward to? In terms of people presenting, I mean, we have everybody from cannabis heavyweights like Sherbinsky's, or also his name is Mario Guzman. He, he created gelato, the gelato strain of cannabis, to people like my, my personal friend. He had the first black legal dispensary in the country from right here in Oakland. So everybody considered him an OG. We have just, you know, we, I, the, the talk that I'm really excited about is a talk that you're probably not going to be able to hear anywhere else, and it's the analytical chemistry talk. You know, you can go a lot of places and, and have them talk about analytical chemistry, but I don't know anywhere right now that you can go have people who are doing analytical testing on mushrooms talk about the work that they're doing. And so that's a one of one thing that I, I know a lot of enthusiasts are going to be there. But we also have there's a performer that I'm really excited about named D-Rock the Menace. He's a rapper who makes psychedelic inspired, a beautiful psychedelic inspired music. And then I, so my personal uh, just hero that I look up to, uh, Willie Michael, he'll be there and uh, really excited to have him. To me, Willie Michael is a legend. And so just to be able to sit on the same stage as him uh, and hear, you know, be able to pick his brain is amazing. You know, if you've ever watched one of his talks or watched him live, he has this deep passion and this deep understanding about cultivation and all things mushroom. And you just toss a question out there and he launches in on a deep dive. So I'm really excited to be able to bring somebody who I idolize and, and, and put him close to me and a whole bunch of other community people. Cool, and we're definitely Willie Michael fans over here too, so shout out Willie Michael. So maybe next year or next iteration of the conference, we can get a live stream or a video package dialed in so more people around the world can experience the Oakland Psychedelic Conference and the, the Hyphae love to some degree, though there's, there's no substitute for turning up in person to an event like that. I'm sure of it. So, Reggie, you know better than anybody that I've identified you as an individual that we absolutely had to engage in a discourse. We had to get you on the Michaelpreneur podcast to share your story and to drop game. I have a rich and colorful personal connection to psilocybin mushrooms that goes back over 15 years, and which was largely formed in the Bay Area, living in San Francisco and in San Diego before that. And uh, many intersections, many parts of the world have been fortunate to connect with folks who are doing this work. But I'm pretty new to the whole online experience of sharing and speaking about this relationship. And almost immediately when I started building my network of cultivators and curators and everyone else in the mushroom game, more formally under the Michaelpreneur brand, Oakland Hyphae kept popping up, kept commanding my attention and continues to. But I don't really have any frame of reference for how you came to occupy this position. How did Oakland Hyphae come to be? What's the origin story? You know, that's actually a really good question that nobody ever asked me. I'm going to answer it to the best of my understanding. The idea of Oakland Hyphae came out of me and, like I said, I come from a, a cultivator sort of lineage. When they decrimmed here in Oakland, you know, I, I started uh, immediately just, you know, I, I guess my own relationship with the medicine. Part of that relationship was cultivation. As I moved through that space, you know, we... we you're in Oakland. As far as I'm concerned, Oakland is the mecca of mushrooms. You start meeting people, you start connecting, you start learning, you start getting a reputation. My reputation started very locally right here in Oakland, very heavy in the decriminalized nature scene. I would be at all the meetings, all the San Francisco Psychedelic Society meetings, just meeting people. And in those spaces at that time, it was not hard to be noticed because I was oftentimes the only black person and oftentimes the only cultivator in the space. And so quickly through developing a, a local reputation, COVID hit, 
and I immediately pivoted to the internet. Before that, uh, I you know there was no internet for me. And at the same time as I pivoted toward the internet, I was aggressively tweaking my pursuit for testing. Part of that community stuff that we did here in Oakland was I met my team here, Ian and uh, Tomas, and th those are the two scientists that I work with. I met them through the Decriminalized Nature Scope, and I also met Monica, my partner. I met her uh, through the Decriminalized Nature Scope too. But the first thing that I ever said to my team, the people who are my team now, is you know I'm interested in learning how to test for potency. Like as a cultivator, I got tired of just having stupid conversations about mushrooms. So it's, I want to learn how to test for potency so we can cut all this bullshit out. It was something that didn't exist in the mushroom world, but did exist here in, in the cannabis realm. You know, very, there's, and all of my, all, all of my team come from the cannabis world as, as analytical chemists. So when COVID hit, everything got shut down. There was no more community or at least not in person. And so we pivoted to going online. And so if you go back and look at my initial like stories, it's just interviews with people from right here in the Bay and that kind of mushroomed and, and, and grew and grew until I gained an online persona. Like it, without COVID, Oakland Hyphae as an online thing probably wouldn't be as known, but I just started doing community organizing through the internet. Fast forward to uh, the beginning of this year, I was doing work in Jamaica on cultivation farms in Jamaica, setting up labs and setting up grows there. It's legal. Upon coming back to the country in January, I was inspired to do the psilocybin cup. You know, at this point, we were confident in our testing methods. We had been practicing them for at least a year, not practicing, but um, tweaking and refining our methods for at least a year. We've gained a, a reputation with the machine. And so we wanted to do something fun. You know, we had gone through the sessions here in Oakland. We bought up samples. We tested. Like, we paid other people to test their shit in the beginning uh, just to make sure that what we were doing, you know, worked. We didn't want to jump out the gate and act like we knew what we were doing and learn on somebody else's dime. You know, we spent the money and invested it. Um, and so all of these things converged to the Psilocybin Cup. And I think I announced that I wanted to do the Psilocybin Cup. And at first, I announced it uh, in Jamaica in January. And then I announced it... Um, then we really rolled it out, I believe, in like March. And four weeks later, it was done. And that made a huge wave. It was a massive wave in the micro community. Nobody had ever done anything like that. And nobody had ever seen anything like that. But everybody had a desire for it. That wave is still going, man. Like, I'm about to try to jump in and submit some samples. And not even just psilocybin. I'm personally looking for people to test active compounds and cordyceps and lion's mane and reishi. And you probably know better than anyone how hard it is to find someone competent who can give you this analytical testing. And as a consequence of that, how many products are out on the market where you don't even know what they're selling you? You're right. And we, I mean, we started with all of those and planned to pivot actually into uh, testing for tryptamines uh, in lion's mane and cordyceps and so on and so forth. We, we, we've learned quite a bit just from playing with the machine over, uh, over the, the last, I'd say 12 or so months. And I'm not, I'm not going to kind of, I'm not going to release everything uh, because there's so many people kind of hopping in trying to, uh, I guess, compete right now, but I will, it's our plan to just slowly leak uh, a lot of the information that we've learned throughout the time that we've been doing this um, into, uh, into the, into the community basically to just uh, further justify why, you know, o Oakland Hyphae testing or Hyphae Labs testing is the preferred testing methods over any of these new, new testings, two testing labs. And let's jump into that for a second because you used the air quotes for compete. Why doesn't Hyphae Labs have any competition right now from your perspective? 
I'm going to sound horrible when I say this, but it's, it's, it's true. Um, you know, anybody can play a pickup game of basketball, you know, but not that many people can compete in the NBA and even fewer can compete in the finals. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, the thing that, that separates a lot of those different, uh, I guess, levels is skill and practice and experience. Uh, a lot of the folks now, they see what I'm doing, and it is cool, and it is fun, um, and it is profitable to a point. Um, but we, we, we invested heavily over, you know, years plus to, to be able to gain not only the equipment, but to gain a familiarity with the equipment. To, we, we've built infrastructures here at Hyphae Labs where not only do we have the equipment and not only do we have three analytical chemists in, on, on board, but then we also have um, uh, a peer review advisory board. We call it the, the Hyphae Advisory Committee. And they're independent. They're not getting paid by Hyphae. What they're doing is they're science nerds. They get a chance to peek behind the veil and review and critique what we're doing independently. I doubt that there's any of the test, analytical testing labs out there right now who are testing for psilocybin or psilocin or any of the other active compounds that have, that have even put the amount of hours in on the machine um, as, as our scientists have, let alone built just the, the, the internal checks and balances to make sure that the work continues to get better um, uh, along the board. And, 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 and I know because we've been doing this for so long, I know if you if you're doing what you're doing for the people and if you're constantly striving to make sure that um, you're constantly improving, I know um, the time and I know the pitfalls and the um, the bumps and the bruises that the Internet or YouTube video is not going to show you. You know, it, it even gets down to the type of chemicals you use and the sourcing of, of, of chemicals. And um, right now we're working with some of the best suppliers in the world. Hands down, we're working with the people that actually make the standards. Um, most people are buying secondhand through distributors. We're working with distributors to actually create the standards um, based upon what we've learned along the way. And we're working with manufacturers to create SOPs that these other people will be buying. Awesome. And we're, we're going to be following that closely because it's so needed in this community. And especially as the mainstream public is turning on more and more to what mushroom medicines can do at large for the community. So we're all about no fake shit. You know, I want people to consume the best, most potent quality products they can get. And I want the market to go that way without filler, without, you know, too many other superfluous fillers in the mix. Just skip the fake shit, go straight to the real shit. So we've had all kinds of people on this podcast, from smaller cultivators to roots-level activists to founders and CEOs of nine-figure companies. Soon, some of them are going to be quite a bit larger. And I've witnessed a number of different incidents pop up where cultivators and researchers and activists accuse larger companies of stealing from them or manipulating them. IP theft, unscrupulous business practices, questionable ethics. You've been right in the mix of this, I believe. And what are some of the things that you've learned from your experiences dealing with larger, more corporate entities that you wish you knew when you first engaged with them? As more and more people are starting to build these relationships and more and more money is coming on the table, what are some things that you wish you knew at the beginning of these relationships with larger, more corporate entities? That's a great question, too. Uh, so number one, I wish that I knew that a nice smile did not necessarily indicate a, a nice soul or an ethical soul. Um, I've noticed that a lot of the, the top business people um, have learned the language of, you know, have learned 
how to talk and they talk the diversity stuff and they, they smile and say brother and, you know, it, it's all flowers um, and rainbows uh, until it's not. And so I, I'd say build relationships with everybody first. Never feel pressured to like sign any paperwork on any sort of timeline. I, I, I have found that just hanging around and being around people for six months will teach you a lot. And when most people, in most of these situations, it's, it's, it's rough and I don't have a solve for it. But generally, they come to people who, in, in this space, they come to people who don't have anything. And they have everything. And they come and they give you, so for instance, I've worked now with um, two international companies. Uh, one is based here in the United States uh, at the time working in Jamaica. And then another one is based out of Canada uh, at the time working in Jamaica. Um, and in both times, they both came to me with a really basic sort of basic offer that seemed great. You know, if they offer you $80,000, all you want is to stop taking risk here in the United States. $80,000 sounds great. But $80,000 in comparison to the value of your work and what they're going to extract and what you represent to them to put up on, for you to put their likeness, for your likeness up on their web page, they're, they're raising money on all of that. And so the 80000 that they pay for you is a drop in the bucket to the $200 million that they raise, you know, privately and, and to the, the, the valuations that come when they get ready to get listed on the stock exchange. You know, it, it's, and that's just the base. Uh, I'd say never, ever do any work for um, a person that is financed for just stock. You know, they, a lot of people try to come and they, they, they say, we plan on doing this. We're going here. The, we're we're going to create this. Just trust us. And they want to just pay you in stock. You know, the, the very first offer I got was only stock. You know, no money attached to it, only stock. No board seat and a, and a, a pittance at that. I found out that the CEO of that company, the two people that owned it, uh, they both got, they both owned 1.5 million shares of stock. And they offered me 100,000 shares of stock. But I was the only person, first of all, I was the only person of color on the team, and I was the only person who had a good reputation for cultivating, and the entire company was built around cultivating. And when I asked this company, um, okay, well, what's your shares? Because that's the big thing. The biggest thing I ever did in business was ask questions to their face. When they give you shares of stock, I said to them, how many shares do you have? What's your shit look like? And most people will tell you. I mean, most people don't will, they won't dodge that question to your face. And, it, and at that point, he told me 1.5 million. And my response was, well, I want my offer to look like what you have. I, I consider myself a valuable part of this team. And so the dude got pissed at me. He took his glasses off. He banged his hand down on the table. And he said, look me in my eye. And he says, what do you bring to the table? <laughs> and I actually felt the need at that point to honor what he said or acknowledge what he said with a response, which I shouldn't have. I should have left at that point um, because since leaving then, I've realized that, like, we have the juice. You know, they, they have the money. They really do have the money. But if you get out here and move around and, like, make good connections and and just use a little bit of hustle, you can you can far exceed the pittance that they're going to try to offer you and you can build value in yourself in your community um most of these things most of these big corporations and all of them have the language all of them they all are inclusive they all are diversity they all care about the the, the nature and regenerative regenerative this and permaculture that and uh biohacking this they all know 
the the buzzwords um but they all just want to make money like most of them uh there there are some good ones yes and most of the good ones are the small ones the people who you who you know mom and pop they 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 work they've been doing this forever their heart is into this they know the community they're not thinking about um uh, a stock valuation and they're not thinking about raising you know massive amounts of money just so just so that they don't have to so that they can run at a loss for for five six seven years so that they can drown it's it just i would say look so closely behind the veil that these people because they all do it and i've matured to the point now where i'm not going to call names even though i could but i just say really don't trust any of them i know that you've had a lot of these people on the podcast and i like being associated with a lot of them i'm associated with a lot of them but i think you know when when you get to know the staff and the employees and just look i i know i know somebody who you had who is at one of the massive the most massive um psychedelic companies in the world they're international they're out of canada and i know that internally if they're not still doing it these people intentionally exploit the the jamaican scientists in terms of what they pay them they pay them a jamaican rate even though they're raising at a canadian rate you know they should be paying those scientists the same as they would pay a canadian scientist they have the money but they cut corners and to me that's exploitative so like you know if 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 they want to pay their staff at the rate of the jamaican then the ceo should get paid at the rate of the jamaicans and so I'm sorry that that that's as close as I'm going to the third rail. But um, I'd say don't trust any of them. I'd say trust the community, focus on the community, focus on the little people, focus on the people who got it out of the dirt and not the people who got it out of uh, off of Wall Street or Bay Street or bought their way into it. Focus on the people who got it out the mud and the people who've been doing it historically. That's a beautiful answer. Thank you so much for bringing all that to our attention. And I think you hit on a few keywords there. Extractive. Extractive capitalism, that's something that I don't think really has a place at all in what we're trying to build collectively with this medicine and bringing it out to the world. Uh, And there are very clear examples of extractive capitalism. There are very clear examples of regenerative work in the space. So um, that's something I'm personally trying to learn more about and trying to figure out how I can support the right momentum and move in the right direction. And, you know, I spent five years in San Francisco and I was in the heart of Silicon Valley and all that. And I moved the fuck out of there, dude. I saw so many people coming in who had extraordinary resources, extraordinary intelligence, extraordinary grasp, and their whole life's mission was to build a product that shaves five seconds off of a fast food checkout line. And it made me sick to my stomach when I started seeing the wealth inequity, uh, just everything that's happening, which you know very well living in the Bay Area and seeing what's been happening you know, in San Francisco and even the name Michaelpreneur is kind of a misnomer. You know, I, I've had a number of people reach out to me about how do I get into the mushroom space? How do I do that? So I'm like, well, first of all, eat some fucking mushrooms. That's a good one. Talk to your community. You know, don't just like fly by night and pop in and think you're going to treat this like you're opening a franchise or something. So that's kind of where I'm at on all this. All right, dude, we got to talk psilocybin mushrooms and online censorship because what the fuck is even happening right now? And I want to publicly thank you for inviting me to moderate this particular panel at the conference, which trust I would absolutely have loved to have been there, but I'm way out here in the sticks hiding out in my rebel base, you know, a couple thousand miles away. So can't make this particular event, but we're going to do something in the future. How has censorship impacted you and the Hyphae team personally? And what are some of the steps right now that you're taking to continue doing the important work you're doing and to connect with the community without being deplatformed? It's so it's terrifying. It really is. 
Um, I've seen uh, Fungi Academy get taken down. And, you know, they, they, you, people work hard for this. Um, and to just have it taken down with, with either because of inaccurate, for inaccurate reasons, um, or having, there's being no way for you to talk to a person to get it back up is, is crazy. But uh, they took down Willie Michael and Willie Michael was up to like 50,000. Um, they took down Double Blind and Double Blind is the, Double Blind and I think Fungi Academy are the only two people who I've ever seen uh, get their page back. And so I'm very interested in organizing this conversation, uh, having it on an ongoing basis. Um, I think that there's a lot of intersections with a lot of other communities that are being censored and shut, shut down. Um, I, quite frankly, I was, you know, I, 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 so part, the type of person who I am is when all this stuff was happening with the election and um, they were saying, don't let them talk, take this off the internet, take this misinformation off the internet, I was never down for that because I knew one day, once you know, the, once censorship became okay, and the, the the and the and people were calling for censorship because they were triggered by racist stuff or homophobic stuff or whatever sort of stuff, that people were going to run wild with it, you know. And so it came. And the last cup I was able to put up pictures. All I do is put up pictures. I, most of the time, I don't even put up names. I put up pictures of the fruit. And uh, I put it up no problem for the last cup. And then when I started doing it this time, um, every time they took it down. And so now I don't post any fruit. I took down all the fruit off my page. Um, and I'm just, I, you know, I, I, I think twice before, I, before the words I type. And it's, it's, it's bad, but the censorship now is they don't have to censor me. I'm censoring myself, but I don't know why. You know, I'm not, nobody has ever seen me um, on any post promote, um, promote, uh, drug sales. Nobody has ever seen me promote, um, you know, really drug use. I don't even think I tell people to eat more mushrooms. I'm just like, this is, for me, Oakland Hyphae represents uh, education and community and, and, and research. And that's what we push. We push information. We push research. We push history. Um, we, I don't think that we've ever, ever on my page said anything about consumption or sales. And so um, for that to be for me to be getting tagged is crazy. Um, and then also when I look at, okay, well, I'm getting tagged, but then they're very, like there are pages that are all fruit and promoting sales of said fruit. And so I'm just, I, it's, it seems inconsistent. It seems like the algorithm, you know, I, I don't know what's happening, but my long-term intention is to organize stakeholders in both the uh, plant medicine world, uh, cannabis world, and, you know, maybe find a few other people who are just getting shut down and shut, shut out for no reasons. I know that there are people who like posting their body, uh, people that like posting like maybe nudes and maybe not even the frontals, but the backs. Or sometimes they, they, it gets close, but not really. And whole pages get shut down. And it's just like it, this is getting crazy. Either we, we find a way to exit in mass. So I'm on Minds now. Um, and Minds, I do feel I, my my soul feels good being able to post what I want, and I go a little harder on mines just because shit I can get it off now, you know. But um, ultimately, I think that a short term that, that the long term solution is we have to organize ourselves a, a, as a coalition with other people who are being shut out and and take it straight to Facebook or to to IG or whatever, and and either have very clear guidelines or they need to turn the shit down. Like it's. It's almost like we're turning into a nanny state, you know. So who who is me putting a picture of a fruit body 
up hurting minus these pages with guns everywhere like real life killing machines what are we what are we talking about you know a picture of i mean yeah, I, the, the gun correlation just bothers me. You can There are whole pages dedicated to, to guns. To guns. And and I can't put a picture of a fruit body up. I can't explain the history. Yeah, it's, it's, what are we doing? I'm asking myself that same question because I recently got on TikTok after people have been telling me, oh, you got to get on TikTok. You got to get on TikTok. And like, I shut that out for maybe a year plus. And then finally, I'm like, all right, whatever. I'm just going to migrate some of the content over there. And the content that I'm seeing, you know, I'm going to sound so old right here, but I'm like, damn, dude, do we really need Jay Balvin branded vodka being blasted and like pushing that out to the world? But I got flagged for a video I made about censorship. I made a video about the rules and regulations and how educational use is technically standardly um, approved according to their rules. But it was funny because I made the exact same video and posted on Instagram and TikTok. And I used uh, uh, my thumbnail on TikTok was fruiting body and it got shut down. And I thought about appealing, but I'm like, nah, man, what am I appealing here? I'm just going to self-censor again. What am I doing here? You know, uh, my whole role is, is bringing a platform for discussion and conversation. Dude, I am not publicly offering anything for sale and I never will to strangers on the internet. Right. But I'm getting flagged for education about the issue of censorship. It's amazing. It's astounding. It, it and, and terrifying just because we don't know, we really don't. It's only, this only been going on for about a year, maybe a year and a half, like to, to this level, who knows what things will, where things will go. Uh, especially and I, I'm not going to get too political, but who knows where this censorship stuff will go, especially considering the climate where governments are like forcing people to do stuff with their bodies. And so I'm just the, the whole the, the whole social climate right now is crazy. It makes my heart beat a little bit fast thinking about the potential of, you know, how how stringent this will get unless we start to collectively collectively push back. And then the coalitions that you could form is are interesting because they would be a, a motley crew of interest groups that probably would never uh, coalesce before. But like, just people are being people are tired of being the, the people are tired of the grand the granny state. You know, like we're we're not kids, we're adults uh, doing things responsibly. Yes, you know, if you put a picture of somebody getting their head chopped off on the internet, take that shit down. But like, you know, we're we're, we're even if we were kids looking at the pictures, it's it's. Alice in Wonderland has has more um, I think is more tempting I think listening to a, a Eminem rap it re- the reason I ate mushrooms for the first time because of Eminem the mushroom song and so it's like and I and I was fourteen so to to have if you look at my analytics most of the people who who uh, follow my page I don't even have like eighteen year eighteen under I have most people uh, I think twenty four to forty five. So most of the people watching my page are grown adults that can make decisions for themselves in a responsible way. Um, and I'm quite frankly, I'm not advocating for or against. I'm normalizing. Sure. And I think we have a similar target demographic in some ways, certainly with that age range and that a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are involved with mushroom companies or are wanting to develop. And that's part of the reason I think it's so important. We have established micropreneurs and people who can bring their perspectives so that, you know, people can learn not just about how to make money, how to turn a quick buck, but more about the holistic framework of what's involved in getting into the space and what it could be not going to say what it is or isn't, but like 
what this space could be, what it could mean for transformation of society, for transformation of the way we engage with each other. And I'm a big believer in the power of mushrooms to do that for a number of reasons, which I get into you know, at large on the podcast. So you just brought up something. I always like to ask origin stories. Uh, and you mentioned you were 14. It was an Eminem song, but I also love talking music. I'm thinking there's going to be a whole section, maybe 10 minute section of this podcast in every episode where we're just going to talk music. What do you like to listen to when you're having a mushroom experience? Some people prefer silent darkness and that doesn't always work for me. If I'm honest, like I try, I try to be like, all right, I'm going to latch in a hundred percent. I'm going to eat a macro dose and I'm just going to hear what the mushrooms have to tell me. And then two, two hours in during the peak, I'm like, fuck it. Let's get this popping off. I put some music on. It always takes it to the next level for me. You know, everyone's different. But do you like to listen to music during an experience? And what are some of your go-to artists? What does that look like for you? So I'm going to answer that question and then put something on top of it. Because I think that's a good question, too. Uh, nobody's ever asked me that. I, I like what you do, man, and how you do it. You, you're not boring and thoughtless. Um, so... The answer to your question is, I, I'm a music lover. Um, music oftentimes gets me in trouble at my, the places that I live because I play it. You know, I, I, I love playing music. I feel music. And so um, my favorite go-to in terms of mushrooms, if I do, uh, if I do have music, because oftentimes I'm in my head, like just I'm there. But uh, J Electronica. He is about it and he makes amazing music that I feel like the psychedelics are the key. And he doesn't like, he doesn't, if you know, you know, but otherwise it's just good music. But the, but the, 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 the fruit can take you there. Like, and you can be in the music then. And so Jay Electronica is my guy there. But the, the question that I want to toss out is, I mean, I, again, I said I came from the cultivator lineage. Um, anybody who's been in the lab with me knows that it's going to be gangster rap the whole time. So uh, it's a bunch of uh, Benny the Butcher and, and Conway, um, a lot of Griselda. Just and we, if you don't if you don't like it, you're gonna get to like it. Um, it, it. For me, having my own space and having my own lab space, one of the goals that I that I had learned when I was out working in the the on the weed farms is I'd have to listen to heavy metal all the time, and I hated that shit. But it wasn't my farm. You know, it wasn't my farm. I, I had to, so I did the work and listened to the fucking headbangers. And I vowed that when I had my own space, I was going to play what the fuck I wanted to play. And so that's what we do. I, I, my lab is, is definitely a unique type lab space, but it's fun to work with me in it. Yeah. And, you know, speaking on that, I think that's also got you flagged in a few IG lives because they're picking up whatever you're playing in the background. And that's been an issue with me. You know, I have a degree in media studies from USF and media law and policy, creative commons. Looking at that space, we were looking at that back in 2007, 2008 with YouTube and about what can you get away with and what can you do? And so I just make all my own music now or I get it sent to me. So I don't even have to worry about flag because I've gotten, you know, creative commons or um, epidemic sound where I have the license for it and it'll get flagged in one country. And I'll be like, none of, you know, the video has no audio in Canada. Canada or no audio in Mexico or whatever. So it's a fascinating intersection. But now if you know people who are making music, like you just mentioned, D-Rock the Menace, shout out. I got quite a few you know, friends in the Bay Area still doing it big. Shout out to Genie Scratch Guitar. I just hit them up. I'm like, dude, I need something that's not going to get flagged by any copyright you know, that I can play. So a lot of the music that you hear on the videos I'm doing is all from myself or from 
friends and I like to keep it in house as much as possible. So uh, I, I want to be respectful of your time here. You know, I, I could definitely, we could do a two or three hour podcast, but we'll just have to do a part two sometime. One of the things I always like asking about people uh, who are on the podcast is what are you working on next? You've got a million different irons in the fire. You mentioned the psilocybin cup. We could touch on that a little bit because I think that's very important. You've got the Oakland psychedelic conference kicking off on Saturday and I'm sure there's a bunch of stuff you're working on at Haifei Labs and with the team that you can't even publicly disclose right now. So I just would love to hear what are some of the current projects that you've got dialed in and what's on the horizon for Oakland Haifei and Haifei Labs? Of course, we have the conference coming up this weekend, which is huge. Uh, as soon as I hop off with you, I'm going to get right back at planning it. Um, that's number one. Number two, on the 20th, we're going to have a dinner. Uh, we're going to have an awards dinner for everybody who submitted to the cup and we are going to read out the um the results of the cup in person uh at that dinner so that's going to be on 920 right here in oakland uh after that on the i believe 8th and the 9th of october we're going to have an event where we're partnering with the ancestor project in new york um and then after that on uh halloween weekend october 30th and 31st we're doing an event with uh the portland psychedelic society and that should be really fun. Uh, and then finally, I want to punctuate the end of the year with uh, a really big event in L.A. Uh, I have not determined that yet, but um, I just have a good feeling about if we do it in L.A., it's going to be crazy. So, 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 so that's that. That's that. In terms of... Um, testing with Hyphae Labs. We're going to continue to do testing. I think that we might do a, a giveaway for the end of the year. Um, you know, maybe do something for the holiday season where we, uh, we instead of, right, currently we're doing six month, we're taking six month packages. I think I might do maybe 10 one-off one, one packages just to make it more accessible because people seem to like it. Um, uh, and I think that could be it. One more thing I wanted to touch on before we dip, because I know you're all about it, but I want to hear about what is it like for the black community in Oakland as far as outreach and access to plant medicines? I know there's people who are doing wonderful work and there's many. I've got friends in Detroit who are doing it, friends in Oakland, friends in Portland, et cetera, et cetera. But would you say that there's still uh, a huge missed opportunity there for people to have access to these plant medicines? And what does that look like in terms of Oakland specifically? Are folks generally aware that this is an available resource to them? And do they have community care and a structure in place for it to be effective for them? Overall, I think within um, amongst the black community, and I don't, I can't speak specifically for Latino. However, I, some of my Latino friends kind of, sort of say that there is, uh, but historically, in, in Mexico, people, um, you know, consume as part of their religion and their ceremony. But anyway, within the black community, um, there's stigma. You know, I, I personally believe the stigma comes from the war on drugs. A, we just we were raised to stay away from drugs. Period. Drugs. Period. But also. Um, I personally, and I, I know a bunch of other people like me have had the situation where you've seen, um, you know, an, an older uncle, you know, kind of, or an older aunt consume, consume something and never come back from it. And that, that tends to stay with you, the very cautionary tale. Um, and so for, for me personally, psychedelics were something that was kind of, it wasn't something that anybody that I knew anybody that looked like me did 
here in Oakland, I think it's different and I think it's getting um, more accepted a lot faster because here in Oakland, there's a lot of people like me, black people who are, you know, do everything else that like the people we love, we love gangster rap, we love R&B, you know, we love the things that, you know, we, we love, you know, I understand the, the, the Christian church back and forth, just like most of us do. Um, but I also am a huge advocate for the medicinal um, uh, benefits of plant medicine. And, you know, I, I because because I, I and you know, there's and just a lot of people like me. You have Kufi Kiri here, who's just a community guy. You have Aize Everett, who's just a community guy. You have Brother Peace, who is just a community guy who've experienced all the things that we as a community experience. But we have profound stories that we share uh, about um, the benefits of the, of having a relationship with plant medicine. So I think it's going to get better a lot faster because of events like the Oakland Psychedelic Conference where people can come see people that look like them and tap in to people who look like them. Um, and as people, you know, as, as people can see people that look like them, letting them know that it's not just a white thing, you know, but actually this is your ancestral birthright as well. Um, I think that there will be more acceptance going forward. Reggie Harris of Oakland Hyphae, thank you so much for joining us today, and we wish you great success and fulfillment this weekend and beyond. I appreciate that. I, I'm upset that I uh, that my short notice that I gave you did not allow the proper time for you to get here, but uh, I'd like to see you down there in Mexico, and I look forward to collaborating with you in the future. There's so much to cover in the mushroom universe and so many mycopreneurs leveraging the infinite potential of fungi to create a more ecologically balanced, inclusive, and equitable world for all of us mischievous little monkeys. I am completely stoked that you've chosen to spend some of your hard-earned time in our little corner of the mycoverse. Hop on the gram, say what's up, at mycopreneur podcast, that's the handle, don't get it twisted. We've got the full suite of social media up and running. Twitter, Mycopreneur. Got the YouTubes dialed in, Mycopreneur. Drop us a line. Tell your grandma and your kooky uncle. Tell your wife and your kids. If you're a Mycopreneur yourself, you want to hop on the pod, by all means, willkommen, bienvenidos, welcome. Don't be a stranger. Let us know your thoughts on this episode, and also let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. This is a team effort. Thanks for stopping by the Mycopreneur Podcast. Have a lovely day. We'll see you back here next week.